0: I invite your attention to Galatians chapter 3 this morning, and uh, we are preaching through the book of Galatians in our Sunday morning time, and we're here in chapter 3 in a message I call Driven to a Promise, Driven to a Promise and it's just one of those times where we get that uh, very appropriate message to us as we celebrate the advent season uh, yet here it is that promise of Jesus Christ as the seed of Abraham Galatians 3:16 now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made he saith not and to seeds as of many but as of one and to thy seed which is Christ May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. When we consider the subject of the promises of God, we're looking at a subject uh, that literally takes us from before time began until after time is over. I mean, from eternity past, theologians call it, to eternity future. I know those things kind of don't go together, but that's the way it says it. Uh, But we have to coin a phrase to describe uh, us who are, to evaluate those of us who are put together in time, And yet we have to think about eternity. The promises of God uh, go all the way from the beginning to end. Now, there are times when the promises of God are like an anchor. And when the storm is blowing our world apart, there are the promises of God giving us stability and strength and hope. There are times when the promises of God are like an engine that move us along, that give us energy, and that energize us and keep us going and going and going and going in the promise of God. When it might seem like, well, there's no way I can keep going, and we couldn't, but the promises of God are empowering us. They give us grace to keep going, to take another step, to live another day, to keep ahead and going ahead in the battle, to face the challenges and deal with adversaries, and ultimately, experience a victory that is certain simon peter would write about this in 2nd peter chapter 1 when he said according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises i love that language exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world through lust these exceeding great and promises then are wrapped up in Jesus Christ in fact paul would go so far as to say that all the promises of god are in him and that's in jesus christ yes and in him amen all of god's promises are wrapped up in jesus christ Now, Paul had been confronting the false teachers in the church at Galatia and the churches of Galatia about uh, how they were dealing with or, or trying to get the churches in Galatia to embrace this false idea or false doctrine. Uh, they had had to deal with some great persecution and great times of persecution as a result of these false teachings and basically it could be wrapped up in the idea that people had to be circumcised and they had to follow the old testament law of of Moses in order to be righteous in the sight of god but today we will see as the scripture begins to speak about these promises of god It reminds them in verse 13, "...Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit by faith." You see, the issue before them was uh, how do the blessings of God come to us? Do they come to us by faith in Jesus Christ? Or do they come to us by some combination of faith and works? And after all of these many centuries, folk, this is still an issue for us. And I hope we'll see that in a better way as we go along today. Uh, Certainly, this is one of the most far-reaching promises that is before us in the Bible when we're talking about the famous covenant with Abraham. You might wonder, why it is so far reaching but i remind you that the reason why we celebrate this season was because of the promise that god gave to abraham about his seed not seeds multitudes but one seed and that seed was jesus christ the coming of jesus christ then in the world is is uh, tied then directly to this abrahamic covenant but there's more Uh, There's more wars going on in the world right now than I can count a lot of small ones building up to one the Bible promises that's going to be a huge one but over the descendants of Abraham and who gets to experience the blessedness of that promise. On the one hand are the descendants of Abraham through Isaac who are the actual biblical recipients of that promise. On the other hand are the usurpers of those promises, the descendants of Ishmael. And to this day they still war and fight trying to somehow obtain those promises of God by fighting this was not so much the issue in Galatian. it's not so much our issue today. We agree on the blessings of God. We agree that God is going to bless us, and that we are the recipients of these blessings through Jesus Christ. But in the New Testament times, people did not agree on how to get into those blessings. How do we get in on it? Yes, God is blessing us. Yes, God has made us a promise. But how do we get in on that promise? Well, we're going to see... According to this doctrinal view that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 3. uh, That we have the experience of these promises very, very clearly established for us. And then we also see how that the law was added. We'll see that in a few moments. How that the law was added as an extension of this. And then hopefully I'll be able to wrap it all up to you today and make it make sense to you in your world and mine. Uh, First of all, I want us to see the experience of the promise. Verse 15, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be by confirmed, no man uh, be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereunto. This is what we call a contract or covenant. When a contract is signed and sealed or confirmed, it stands as an agreement between two parties. And neither side of that agreement then can alter the terms of that contract without uh, the expressed and written agreement of the other side of that contract. In this case, this covenant or contract was between God and Abraham. But God himself was the one who made it. He's the one who made the promise. And then he calls that time when Abraham uh, had a deep sleep come upon him. And they took those animals and laid it down. Abraham was asleep. That means Abraham didn't have anything to do with it. And God himself walked through that. That was a strange Old Testament way that they actually signed and made a covenant. And they were agreeing then uh, that uh, basically whatever happened to these animals was going to happen to anybody who violated that covenant. Now, without making it real complicated for you today, let's just understand understand when it comes to this contract he said it was confirmed God made it God signed it and that was it it could not be disannulled it could not be changed and how did Abraham then get on the beneficiary side of that contract verse 6 of chapter 15 in Genesis says that Abraham believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness Verse 18 of that same chapter, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt, that's an Isle River, unto the great river, the, Eur- the river Euphrates. Unto thy seed. Paul again noticed he identified this seed in verse 16. Unto thy seed he said, which is Christ. So God made this Promise to Abraham and to his seed, to the physical descendants of Abraham, but beyond them, beyond even the child Isaac, was the child Jesus Christ. Now, Isaac's birth was an amazing thing. And I love the story of the birth of Isaac. I, I, I can't think about 100 year old Abraham and 90 year old Sarah and Sarah waddling around pregnant, 90 years old, uh, without understanding why God chose to call that boy's name Isaac, which is laughter. The whole thing is a little bit funny when you think about it. It wasn't funny to Abraham and I guarantee it wasn't Sarah, but it, it was kind of funny to us. After all these years it was miraculous in its own right oh but it was nothing to compare with the birth of Jesus Christ born of a virgin the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ you see the seed of Abraham and the promise of Isaac Isaac was just a picture of the one that was to come our Lord Jesus Christ who would be born born in a manger in Bethlehem. But as Abraham saw that promise and received that promise, he believed. He believed in what? He believed in the same Jesus that you and I believed in. The only difference is that where Abraham was looking ahead to the promise of Jesus Christ, we look back on the promise of Jesus Christ, but it was the same faith and the same grace that saved Abraham that saved you and I. He continues then in verse 17. And I say then that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, the 430 years in this passage speaks of the time of the Egyptian bondage. It was actually, as far as uh, chronology is concerned, it was 600 years between the time that Abraham got this promise and that the law was given then to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, follow, follow Paul's logic here in this passage. He was saying to them that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him by righteousness and that he received this promise and the promise became good to him because he believed. It came by faith. It was the grace of God. God provided it. God established the covenant. God is the one who gave him the means. Abraham believed it. And then the law that came 600 years later. I mean, that's a long time. 400 years, 430 years would take us back to the days of of, of the pilgrims and Pocahontas and John Smith. 600 years would take us back to the days of Christopher Columbus. Paul's point is simple. People had lived and died and lived and died and lived and died on the premise and promise of the Abrahamic covenant long before the law ever came on the scene. Uh, Now, if this was a chess chess match, uh, Paul would just say checkmate at that point because uh, their issue, the issue of whether the law was bringing them salvation or the law could somehow bring them under the provisions of the Abrahamic covenant was settled. Abraham received that promise. He became a beneficiary of it by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we have to deal with the question. And the question is, and why Why the law? If the law did not somehow have a a part in bringing us under the power and the provision of that promise, if the law, if our performance, if our keeping of all the rules somehow doesn't bring us under the power of that promise, then why the law at all? That's a very good question. In fact, it's posed in verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. You see, the short answer is the law was given because of sin or because of transgression. The word means to step over a boundary, as we like to say it, they crossed the line. It means that the law was never given to bring righteousness. The law was given to expose their sin, to expose their transgression. Paul then goes on in verse 21, "...is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law." But the Scripture hath concluded, and that word means to confine or to wrap up, or we could even say to imprison. God has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. You see, the law locks us up under sin. And together then explains how God's covenant was extended by the law right up into the time when the seed would come and that seed was Jesus Christ. Christ would fulfill the promise of God. In a practical way it meant that though Abraham believed God, (laughs) Abraham still messed up. Uh, Though Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And the the promise then, all of that covenant passed on to all of Abraham's descendants. Yet Abraham's descendants still struggled with sin. And so the law was added and the covenant then was extended right up into the time when Jesus would come. The law locked us up. (laughs) But guess what? The gospel is the key that unlocks it. And gives us liberty. Now though there are many things about which uh, I would disagree with Dr. John R.W. Stott about. And the fact that I'm about to quote him does not mean that I think he's a great theologian. A lot of things we disagree with him about. But he did write this in his commentary on Galatians. And I want to share it with you. Until the law has bruised and smitten us. Only then will we admit our need of the gospel to bind up our wounds. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we pine for christ to set us free not until the law has condemned and kill us will we call upon christ for justification in life not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in jesus not until the law has humbled us even to hell will we turn to the gospel to raise us up to heaven you see like quicksand the more we struggle to escape from sin and the law the deeper we sink into it as we saw last week the law brings us an inescapable and unapproachable standard of holiness here we are with our hopeless and helpless desire to do everything that God demands of us and yet the more we try the more we fail the thing is folk that's not a problem That is exactly what the law was intended and designed to do. That's why the law was added. It was added because of our transgression. It was never added so that we could live it and be perfect. It was added so that we would see our sin and trust in the Savior. I'm afraid sometimes, well-meaningly, We hurry people to the gospel before they've had time to be horrified by the law. And we want people to be saved and we want young people to be saved. We want to see them come to Christ and and that is the greatest of all goals. We want to see people saved. We want to see people saved when they're young. Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. But we must be careful. No one can ever be saved before they understand the lost. And we'll never really come to the Savior until we realize how deeply we are mired in sin. And we don't come to that on our own. We're not going to rationalize it out and figure it out. We're too good at justifying ourselves in order to do that. It takes the power of the Spirit of God to show us how lost we are and how much we need a Savior. So this morning, when we look at this doctrinal view of Advent, of the seed of Abraham and Christ and as that seed, and how that God's promises come to us by faith in Jesus Christ, it still brings us down to that same issue. Does the blessing that God promised to Abraham. The promise that in thy seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. And we are a part of the nation? Is that promise something that comes to us by faith? Or does it come to us by some combination of faith and our works? Now, in order to hopefully make this whole thing a little more clear to us, I, I want to bring us into a little bit more modern example. It's, it's a little hard for us maybe to reach all the way across these centuries and another culture and another land and another language. So we're going to bring it a little bit more up to date with our discussion of a man by the name of Russell Carter. Russell was born in 1849, so it's not altogether up to date, but it is a lot closer Russell Carter. I didn't know him personally. <laughs> Just want to make that clear. Russell grew up to be an outstanding, brilliant, studious, and talented young man. He excelled in many disciplines. He served in his state mil- uh, militia in his home state of Pennsylvania, uh, but he developed serious heart trouble at the ripe old age of 23, and in his day, heart trouble was was a death sentence. There was nothing medically that they could do. Uh, He went out west because that was really the best they had back then. If you were sick, go out west. Maybe the climate would help you. His condition worsened. He finally came home essentially to die. Uh, He was trying to just stay at his family's home. But he began to read about the power of prayer. And about how some people were experiencing miraculous deliverance through prayer. Uh, There was a man that today we would call him a faith healer in Boston that he went to see. And uh, he prayed and amazingly he was healed. Miraculously healed of his heart condition. Uh, Carter went on to devote himself to the idea that divine healing was a part of the atonement. He was a part of what came to be known during that time as the Holiness Movement... It was built on the idea that Jesus Christ died by His atonement. The Bible says, "By His stripes we are healed." And the idea is that the atonement of Jesus Christ not only delivers us from sin, so that we don't have to sin anymore, uh, but it also delivers us from sickness, so that we don't have to get sick anymore. Uh, that fledgling holiness movement that uh, went on in the late 1800s uh, would be joined by the, the tongues movement that began around the turn of the century, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, but at this time, things were just getting started. And Russell Carter became one of the superstars of the Young Holiness Movement. He wrote a book, uh, one of the first that wrote a book uh, about how that healing was in the atonement and we could be delivered from sickness and from sin. Uh, he went along. He ended up on a, on a speaking tour. I mean, he, he was as big as it got in the 1800s. I mean, he couldn't get on TV back then. He was busy until he got sick again. And this time prayer didn't work. (laughs) Uh, He, in fact, took some medicine that... uh, Uh, Got him better, and uh, he was healed by a miracle of modern medical science. And You know, we get a whole lot of those these days, but I'm afraid we've gotten so used to them, that we don't think about what a miracle it is, Uh, this modern miracle of medical science. It's out there. It is is absolutely true. Uh, He also went through a very painful divorce. He moved to California, left his family behind, met someone else. He ended up writing another book called Faith Healing Reviewed After 20 Years. Both of his books, by the way, are still online. He took a new position in his second book that healing is a matter of special favor with God under the influence and leadership of the Holy Spirit He did that, of course, because he himself, along with many, many other people, had prayed and had seriously trusted God and believed. And I mean seriously prayed, and they still got sick, and they still died. He he saw a lot of that. And he did this, of course, because he himself, along with many others, continued to struggle with sin and with failures. In spite of his very best efforts, He had to learn that there was no magic formula for avoiding life's mess-up, that there was no great experience, that once you had that great experience with God, you turned the corner and you didn't mess up anymore and you never got sick anymore. No, there was was nothing like that. didn't matter how many hard he tried or how many meetings he went to. He come to grips. We were not immune. After his decades-long journey then into understanding and living out the promises of God how do you get in on the promises of God how do you get on that blessings he after being involved with that whole works based religion that uh, taught him that you could live above sin and and that you could live above sickness after all that journey R. Kelso Carter wrote a song that today still stands as a memorial to his struggle and as an inspiration to God's people. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fall. Fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I now can see, perfect, present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. Remember, Russell was devoted to military service for many, many years. And so if you listen real carefully, you can hear that military cadence in the song. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. You see, still today, still today, there is this whole whole movement built around the idea that somehow or another, we can get in on these blessings but it's somehow going to be a little bit up to Jesus and a little bit up to us. That there's a formula somehow, somewhere, there's a plan, a policy that our life then can just be a wonderful time of blessing free from problems. I want to remind you today that when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are bought with a price. And that means we belong to him. And God may choose to use you in an incredible way. He may bless you and bless you and bless you so that you have wonderful experiences of blessings and don't have a lot of hard times. That may be his choice in your life. He may choose you and, and, and decide to use you in that way. He does. But even in those lives, there's no guarantee that they'll be free from problems or free from trial or turmoil. You may have gone through a time in your life when you haven't been sick very much. That's fine, but, but there'll be a time when, when you will get sick, even after you believe in Jesus Christ. You, you may go through a time where you say, man, I've got that sin thing under control. Just wait. Uh, it'll show up again. It will. It will. I'm not justifying it. I'm not trying to tell you it's okay. I'm just telling you these are some things that we're going to struggle with. And this whole idea then that everything about the promises of God are somehow confined in this life. And if we just do the right things, believe the right things, go to the right church. Then everything is going to be okay. I want to remind you. Uh, The words of Paul when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable or most to be pitied. Jesus Christ did not promise us that we would be free from trouble and full of blessings in this life. And no matter who makes you that offer today, don't believe it. That is not the promise And I'm afraid that countless millions of people are growing disillusioned with the entire Christian message because they're buying in to the idea that somehow, somehow with this combination of belief and works that we'll get this blessing. Abraham was driven to the promise. And so are we. He was locked up by the law. So are we. The promise that came to Abraham was absolute. God says, I'm going to give you this land all the way from the Nile River in Egypt, all the way to the Euphrates River. Every bit of it is yours. But do you know how much real estate Abraham had his name on when he died? A burial plot. A burial plot. No wonder the writer of the book of Hebrews said, Abraham died. And in fact, all the Old Testament believers died without having received the promise. And you know, in some way, that might be your experience and mine too. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the rapture. Are you looking forward to the rapture? You like the idea of that shout and the trumpet of God? One of these days, I'm going to die. Probably I mean, it may happen, I may not. I believe in it. But if I die, uh, I hope I've got a mind left when I do. Because with my last thought, I want to be thinking, man it'd be a great time to hear that shout. <laughs> oh, what it be a great time to hear that trumpet sound? And if I don't hear it. I'll die in faith every bit as much as Abraham did. Do you understand my point this morning? Uh, See, no matter how great our life can be or no matter how troubled our life is, on either side of that, we are the same blood-bought children of God. God promised us that in this world we shall have tribulation, but he also promised us that there's a glorious life to come. And we are looking for the fulfillment of that promise. I worry about how much of this teaching and preaching there is in this world. And I struggle sometimes even to frame it all without seeming to be coming down on somebody else for what they believe, which I don't like to do. But I believe that we are compelled as much today... As was Paul in the churches, when he dealt with the churches of Galatia to remind people that the blessings that God promises us come to us through Jesus Christ. And they come to us because we believe in him. And it's not some combination then of our faith in Jesus Christ and our works and our goal to live above sin and get beyond this or whatever. Whatever. That instead, we simply trust God. We live our lives in it because we know God is going to keep the promise. Someday, and it may not be too long, you're going to be standing beside somebody and you're going to be really thankful that God is a promise keeping God. You're going to look at that self and just see in the mirror and you're going to be really thankful that God can be counted on to keep his promise. Let's stand together, please.